Welcome to the Serious Leisure podcast. My name is Petya Petrova. I'm the host of this podcast. This is the final of three episodes we recorded with Professor Robert Stebbins. In this episode, we talk about optimal leisure lifestyles, how leisure is determined by what is accessible and available to us, and also about how to find a new leisure pursuit. I'm, of course, joined by Sam Elkington and Kat Branch in our conversation with Bob. Enjoy. Yeah, thanks, Bob. Yeah, you've given us an insight there into to your own leisure, your own leisure pursuits. And I know as well um, just how keen, or at least, you know, until recently, very keen, um, you are for the nature pursuits as well, outdoors and walking, mountain scrambling. I can personally vouch for this, having had Bob drag me up a couple of mountains on a on a stay with him in Calgary, yeah. um, which uh, which was very enjoyable. We, we, I it was enjoyable, yeah. although uh, you showed me up um, superior ability. Not bad, but <laughs> well, no scrambling up mountains. I, I wonder it's kind of implicit in what we're talking about here but um the the idea of lifestyle choices that we make yeah obviously you've been talking about the me the 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 macro here in terms of the broader societal you know we don't want to get too hung up in that we haven't got the time in terms of you know is it is it real choice um and all those all those debates um but the the lifestyle choices that we make and the role that the social world plays within that. I wondered whether you could just say a few words around that, because it's implicit in what we're talking about here. You know, in the in the in the in the space of the social world, so to speak. But in terms of those lifestyle choices, because I, I know it's a recurrent theme in many of your books. Yeah, um, and some of that's related to geography, as well as um, the culture of leisure in a community. Obviously, we do a lot of skiing around here, um, given there's no shortage of snow, usually. But when I was in Newfoundland, um, I didn't, there was plenty of snow, but I wasn't into skiing um, because the Newfies weren't into skiing, nor snowshoeing. Um, and so in the winter, I didn't do much of anything. And in the summer, we did some walking, but Mostly, I would fish trout. Now, there's millions of those trout around in Newfoundland. So you could go out on any day. If they were biting at all, you'd come back with a basket full of them. Um, And they made great eating, of course. So that became, you know, I'd never had such good fishing. When I came to Calgary, um, there are trout all over the place here, but they're bigger fish. And they're in more specialized areas. And you can come back from a fishing trip fully skunked, as we'd say, uh, with, with no damn fish. Um, no, this is crazy. I need the exercise. That's when we got into hiking. And um, there was plenty to hike about. And there was lots of um, uh, guidebooks, good guidebooks, about how to um, you know, manage a certain trail. So it's the opportunities that are available. 
My son, when we came, didn't do hockey right away. He had spent, you know, his recent three years uh, in Texas. Now it wasn't on for, for Texans to do hockey. Um, <clears throat> so he played basketball in the winter. And um, then he graduated and started, you know, mixing it up with friends, learned hockey. Now that's all he plays uh, as, as an adult. So uh, you do what is available, what you have a competence for, and maybe the money. <laughs> uh, if you like deep sea fishing, well, you got to get the money to get to the deep sea, and then somebody's got to drive the boat. So um, that immediately changes things. So you, know, you and I talked about space. Mm-hmm. And um, that's got into, been fed into the serious pleasure perspective, but there's a lot more to do. The geographers are catching on. Um, they're interested. And I almost had a guest speaking um, gig, as it were, with the British geographers, but they couldn't quite get the money together. And by the time they did, then I couldn't fly. So, um, but they wanted to link uh, the SLP to, uh, to geographic space. And um, geography's always been fairly close to leisure, but um, they didn't have this broad perspective until more recently. Okay, Tim. Yeah, I, I think the it's, it's interesting because it's almost like you're reading my mind. I was going to bring this idea of space in because, again, that's something of a somewhat of a recurrent theme mm-hmm. across across the podcast. And it's and again, as as you've uh, um, highlighted there, Bob, it's relatively underexamined as uh, an integral part of the of the serious leisure perspective. Although we have tried in the past, yeah, yeah. Uh, really we have tried. Hard. Yeah, we have we have done our part. People need to do theirs. Um, but you know the the significance of space, the 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 affordances of space in terms of the opportunities they provide for certain activities, um, and how the 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 environment actually draws people in and actually are are the part of the motivation for even moving to certain. Uh, certain locations mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. i i know i know plenty of people uh in academia particularly and we've we've heard people speak on the podcast who have taken jobs who have moved to you know i i've moved to the north of the uh, of the country here in the in england um mm-hmm. to be closer and and we've done it on purpose it's to be close to family yeah the opportunities that provides mm-hmm. but also to be closer to the coast to you know we're we're, we're within 20 minutes away of probably five of the best beaches in the UK. Um, and where I lived previously, I was landlocked by two, two hours. Beaches were a, were a fantasy. But it, it, it means so much in terms of, and it opens up the opportunities for, you, you know, all of, all of those different kinds of activities. My children now are very, we spend a lot of time in, in nature, outdoors, walking. On the mm-hmm. coast, or you know, they they paddleboard, they do all of these things. Um, when we lived in Bedford, that probably wouldn't have happened. 
So, you know, the importance of space, the affordances that provides, the opportunities, as you say. Um, but I wanted to kind of segue into here, uh, and then Kat, I think, you know, you, you want to come here as well. Um, which, you know, the importance of that whole package deal for our well-being. Yeah. You know, and, and how that, you know, and, and again, this is something the, the serious relationship perspective has had some uh, sway over, you know, the, the, the whole kind of subjective uh, well-being, but actually more broadly in terms of societal well-being. Um, so I wonder, I mean, Kat, did you want to come in here at this point to talk, you know, from a from a sense of music and, and, and a, uh, that perspective of well-being? And then we can maybe explore the, the, the idea of well-being more broadly in the context of the serious relationship perspective. Yeah, I yes. Well, firstly, even, you know, thinking outside of like landscape geography, uh, the importance of space, I just was I was on mute like preach because, you know, that we kind of um, having the center for music as a physical space is absolutely critical um, because it's free. Anyone can go in there. And this accessibility, this fact that you don't have to have, you know, money for deep sea fishing to do that. You <laughs> don't have to, you know, you don't have to have bought yourself a tuba because we've got a few lying around. Those, the dismantling of those barriers is absolutely essential. And from my point of view, there's a sort of social justice angle there. And then I sort of, um, we justify a project like that on the shoulders of what the serious leisure perspective can provide in terms of what are the benefits. So, you know, the kind of well-being uh, uh, literature is kind of jumped on the shoulders, in my opinion, of a lot of the SLP observations without realising, you know, these, these, these worlds are starting to intersect more effectively now. But we look at social prescribing, which is kind of saying, oh, take a leisure activity and that's going to be good for your mental health and whatever. But of course, this is what the serious leisure perspective has been talking about for quite a long time. Um and and helps to to then justify, you know, a project like the Centre for Music. And sure enough, um, that is at the heart of what we are doing as a project is about student well-being and maintaining mental health. Because as we know, that's what those things can do. And, and the last thing I was going to say, which struck me, Sam, as you were speaking, is thinking about you know people uprooting their lives and you've moved to the coast and people go to these different places. And um, Petia put in the chat, which uh, people who are listening, you won't have seen, but I'll just share this with you. She mentioned when she was looking for a house, it had to be within a 30-minute walk to Improv Theatre. And indeed, where I am, we had to have a place that was big enough to fit a piano that's just make or break. <laughs> Even if everyone's in the shed, there's got to be a room for the piano, right? So I think there's there's a way in which actually, the, the, the for me, the real benefit of serious leisure perspective and the use of the word serious is that what we're doing is kind of identifying that somewhere really our leisure, it's, it's somehow a, a more core part of who we are. Um, and that is why it's so linked to our well-being. Because having those things maintained and expressed, that's that's what gives us this equilibrium and meaning and satisfaction. All the other things we've been talking about today, um, but so often get deprioritized, you know, because the word leisure is complicated, isn't it? It's difficult. And so we need that uh, serious adjective, which I know has some very specific um, meanings, Bob, in the, you know, in the theory that you've developed in terms of how people behave. But for me, at a, at a sort of step away level it helps to make sure that 
people feel justified you know in making time for their leisure and understanding that it's an expression of authentic self <laughs> and of course in the case of my work funding projects that make it possible you know we didn't say much about um optimal leisure lifestyle but that fits this discussion um <clears throat> in a sense that um people can explore um as to what kind of leisure or kinds of leisure um go best uh, with their lifestyle. And that usually means taking account of work and non-work obligations, and then having some casual leisure to go when you can't do the serious stuff, or you've done so much serious, there's no more energy left uh, to do uh, that kind of leisure. So that was the time to watch TV or go to the coffee shop and Talk about leisure, but do not um, <clears throat> and gossip about leisure, but you're not in fact doing it, so it's not tiring, uh, but it's still interesting. Well-being would be very much linked to finding a proper optimal leisure lifestyle, um, which would include some serious, of course, um, some casual or projects. Um, we haven't said much about project-based leisure, but um, that's going to be more important. We're going to uh, wish we had more data on that because we've got to find those project-based leisure enthusiasts. Crossword puzzles, for example. Uh, crossword puzzles and jigsaw puzzles. Anyway, um, well-being is definitely tied up with this. Yeah, I, and I and I there's a sense of balance, Bob, in what you what you've described and listed. Yeah. That sense of balance, and and that I think is such uh, an intersection then with what the well-being discussion is trying to achieve. And when we think about you know the work-life stuff, it, it's at the centre of that is balance, isn't it? And that, that that is the challenge. Some people achieve um, what I would call optimal leisure lifestyle by um, uh, staying with casual leisure, uh, but doing all kinds of different stuff. So they watch TV for a bit, then they're off to the coffee shop for another bit. Then um, they sit on the veranda and watch the traffic go by, uh, take a nap. Um, and in the course of it all, they fill up a day. And um, it's varied but interesting to them. Now, you don't develop yourself much, but you don't get bored either. But the uh, level of um, excitement is pretty moderate. So, and, you know, how much coffee can you drink and that sort of thing? Uh, or how much gossip can you take? Uh, so, it's um, <clears throat> but there are people who do that. Sam, yeah, and I think I, it's it's worth kind of drawing out here as well that so many of the mm. the serious leisure pursuits start out as a casual level. It's, it's a casual, you know. I might pick up a book and read about something. Well, that's interesting. I'm going to explore that, you know. And four or five years down the line, all of a sudden. You know, I'm immersed in a social world I, I, you know, previously knew nothing about. 
Um, and I and I think that's that's something else that we <coughs> I, I think sometimes don't. I'm thinking, you know, this is fitting into this broader kind of well-being uh, kind of agenda here. So we we think, and, and I think it's got a lot to with to do with the culture that we're in today. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we feel like, you know, if we're going to invest our time and effort into something, it needs to be something that's, you know, worthwhile and, you know, needs to lead to something, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And we're missing out on so many of those opportunities because we're not willing to take a take a swing at something new or, you know. So, for example, um, we had a break just before Christmas and um, in for the first time in probably 25 years, I picked up a bow and arrow. Um, and realized I'm, now there's a whole backstory here in terms of my, my grandparents used to own a pub. They used to do archery competitions. It was a very small village. Um, and as a, as a child, I'd spend time doing that. Uh, I wasn't very good because I was very small and it was long bows. And as, as the name suggests, they were longer than I was. Yeah. Um, but actually it was, you know, it, it was, there was a remembering of, uh, an, an enjoyment that, that mm-hmm. I'd once had and actually so rediscovering leisure later on in life is something else that and and I think we we get closed off from that you know from the discovering being curious about new or opening up to and remembering and rediscovering old leisure pursuits I think society has uh something to to say about that and and then you know you, you start to focus down on the the, the kind of subculture of academia and you know just how negative that can be in terms of its draw on our resources. I think there's 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 a lot in there, isn't there? Petty, do you want to come in? There? Thanks, Sam. Um, there's an open-mindedness to trying new things and failing at them and not being any good. Um, and I'm just reflecting on my own experiences over the last three years. Um, you know, uh, Petty ten years ago would have not had the courage to try something out or to be going to singing lesson when she's been told that, you know, for a very long time, she has no voice for singing um, and and being quite scared and just learning as, as almost like as a little child to kind of find, find discover your voice and, and try to, to use it as an, as an instrument. And, and, and I think the perfectionism, and I talk about myself, but that's also so inherent in academia that we have to be the best at the most proficient. And we often get into academia because maybe we were good students and we um, and suddenly to find yourself being new at something and not so good at something. And maybe it doesn't come naturally to you. Maybe academic subjects did. And suddenly you've, th- this is a whole mindset that's needed and some of the creating of this mindset is dismantling kind of societal and professional assumptions that are needed before you enter that space so in my case and we talked about this uh, um, in episode two when I was talking about improv in my case it was a health event that kind of triggered this let's find a different life to live um but in many, uh, and I'm thinking now COVID might provide this framework for a lot of people thinking about work and life balance and burnout and where they find joint joint playfulness in, in almost in a more strategic way, because we all have to kind of rethink and rediscover that. Um, so, uh, yes, I wanted to come in here to just say all of the, what you said, Sam, is really important. 
but we need to discover the mindset to be free to try out and to be free to fail and to be free to rediscover old passions or to find new ones. Reminds me um, that I didn't mention that um, <clears throat> Wikipedia has a list of hobbies um, titled as such. If you write out a list of hobbies, you'll get it. And it goes on for pages. Now, a lot of them are not hobbies by, um, you know, SLP standards, but they are serious leisure, um, basically amateur or hobbyist, and some volunteering uh, are in this list. But it's a good place to go to sort of see what it is you might like to do, uh, because people need some some uh, some sense of choice. Um, so go find an activity now that you're stuck at home alone um, because of COVID. Well, that's all well and good, but I can't think of any. Well, go to Wikipedia, you'll get quite a list. Uh, and then you can put yourself in that place and say, well, that sounds good, forget that. You know, If you reject the whole list, then you should consult your psychiatrist, I guess. But uh, whatever, <clears throat> it's a big list. That, uh, that really made me laugh uh, when you said that, Bob. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, uh, I think, I, I, Sam, you know, when you're talking about we've lost that thing about trying stuff out. And, and I think what, what is so interesting about leisure, I, I'm really going to have to have a look, Bob, at your book that defines what leisure is, because that's really got my brain ticking. When we think about what leisure is, you know, um, because it's it can it can be an organic process can't it? So obviously that you have to have that intention to, you know, you had to go to your first improv session, Petia. And Sam, you had to bother to go and get access to a bow to revisit this or whatever. But you didn't have to have like a five-year plan on what am I doing with this whole archery dabble, right? You know, or um, I've started doing outdoor swimming um, controversially in a wetsuit. There are many people doing that in swimsuits. Uh, fair play to them. I'm there with my wetsuit and my gloves on, you know. I don't have a five-year plan. I've got in the water about four times, and I think that's pretty good going. And so it's very liberating to think, ah, I'm just going to stick my toe in the water, you know, and say, Bob, I love this idea of, like, looking at the hobbies on Wikipedia, or as we'd say on the podcast, listen to our other episodes for inspiration, of course, and um, and think, well, I'd just take a punt at something. <laughs> What's the worst that could happen? It's such a contrast to this kind of intention-based five-year plan, what's your achievement, what's your standard, um, which definitely dominates academia, but quite honestly, I, I think is a is a broad social culture that, that we all have to live in. You know, and leisure can give us a, a break from that, can't it? Thank goodness. Interest in leisure is far more complex than we give credit for. <clears throat> That's in part because there's no decent definition, um, I would say, uh, saving my own, but we'll see about that. Well, two things about it. One, I have a, a one-sentence definition, which I call a dictionary-style definition. But that's set out in that book over several chapters. And that comes from the observation that a complex idea requires a lot of space. And um, that's where dictionaries really aren't much help. Uh, if you really want to get a... Um, a substantial grip on the phenomenon. Uh, when I was doing the book on play and leisure, we went to the OED, 
uh, just to check how much space the two are getting. Um, <clears throat> Clay got two and a half pages, I think it was, of OED spacing. That's a lot um, for the word play. It is a verb and noun and so on. Leisure got column and a half or something. Uh, but even that's a lot. But it helped explain why play um, has become extremely difficult to define. Because we use it in so many different ways uh, in common sense that it just upends any attempt to uh, make a um, uh, decent definition. There have been some, but um, they're not through that one yet. <laughs> so, yeah, that, Bob, that, yeah, it's, it, it is interesting, isn't it? The, the just the sheer breadth of when, when you really get into it, the, the breadth of the concept of leisure <laughs> and you know how that kind of intermingles with so much of life. Probably the 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 majority of it. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and yet, ironically, it's, it's, it's the bit we spend least time thinking about. And I can't help but think it's, and I don't want to get anybody started here, but um, it, I, I can't help but think it's got a lot to do with, you know, how we're, how we're educated. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, obviously, you know, broader societal structures and processes, and, and that plays into it as well. But, you know, we, we don't educate for leisure. We educate for work. Um, and then, you know, we wonder why it's such a struggle to find fulfilling leisure. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's a that's a really, really powerful kind of realisation, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and why the places <coughs> like the Centre for Music and, and similar um, kind of institutions and organisations are so important because it offers an alternative, offers a, you know, something that rubs against the, the you know the, the 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 trend of well it has to be work related to matter well no it doesn't mm -hmm. and and just just as a kind of a closing kind of observation I guess from me here is how much of what we've been discussing here today has shown me that leisure is actually the lens for so much of that you know you show, you you look through the leisure lens and you you see different things and you so this whole podcast is about shining the leisure lens on the work life well-being kind of relationship and trying mm -hmm. to understand that and i think that's something that the podcast and that the conversation we've had today has really shown me is just how important that lens is and um it's it's quite an insightful one. Bob, you've been using that lens now for well over 40 years and still turning up new things. That mm -hmm. suggests to me that it should probably, we should probably continue looking. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Perpetua, did you want to bring us to a close? I just want to give uh, Bob an opportunity because he wants to respond to your comment and I think it's important to do that. So, Bob. Well, pleasure's misunderstood. And it doesn't take long to find that out when you're out and about and talking to people about it. The biggest bet noir uh, for understanding leisure is its common sense understanding. And I'd say I've got the book Leisure Legacy that wanders into that minefield and so far hasn't blown, blown up, but it uh, is a, uh, it's, it's so broad. 
often would get the comment from our colleagues, well, you got leisure down for the Western world, but what about the other parts of the world? I think that SOPI can handle itself with the definition that's used. And whether we're talking Saudi Arabia, um, Yemen, Mali, you know, you name it. People have free time um, in which they're not obligated to do anything, um, but as it were, play or do leisure. And um, then we can, the activities will be different, but um, <clears throat> they'll still be free time activities. So otherwise time has to be spent, you know, getting something to eat, fighting off enemies, um, dealing with disease, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, but it's hard to drive that simple point across. Our colleagues are not used to a broad scale approach to free time activities. They've got caught up in you know, the constraints and facilitators, recreational specialization, uh, on and on. Flow is broader, but flow isn't everything either. So, uh, well, not everything's in flow, let's put it that way. World. Jig sent me eyes. He's got a list of eight points. They all have to be uh, addressed. Uh, and for example, if the activity like a bungee jump requires no skill, it still gets called flow. But the definition of flow wouldn't include that. Um, just somebody likes bungee jumping. Um, so <laughs> anyway, Thanks, Bob. Um, for our regular listeners, uh, this is not me stopping the conversation on flow, which Sam always accuses me of doing. <laughs> this is us <laughs> running out of time, I'm afraid. Um, and as you know, we can continue this conversation forever. Um, but it is hitting half past seven in the evening on a Friday for those of us here uh, in the UK. And there's family duties at play. And I know uh, Bob has um, been really gracious with us, spending a lot of time with us. But uh, I'm mindful also of the um, toll this is taking on, on his, his voice. Um, so I would just like to close it here. We are all in a situation where we are balancing fighting a disease. <laughs> we are now a COVID universe and leisure. And we all believe that this is an important conversation to be had. And we are all so grateful to the insight that Bob has brought to this conversation. Um, so first of all, Bob, thank you so much for your, for your time and for your contribution today. It has been a real pleasure. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure to be here or there or wherever I am. Um, and uh, I was going to say, we'll do it again sometime. So I'm sure there'll be things to say. I um, We might well take you up on that offer. And yes, there would always be a lot of things to now say. Now that we got Zoom figured out, <laughs> <laughs> probably moving the goalposts. I mean, we get it figured out and then it changes.
If only we can all fly out to you to Canada and have, have this conversation yeah. there in person. <laughs> yes, yeah. Sam is looking distraught that, at this that moment. Would be nice, yeah. <laughs> or I could get to Britain, but right now I can't fly, so we'll have to settle for Zoom. <laughs> yes, so. we, we will unfortunately have to do so. Yeah. Um, talking about online, if our listeners are interested to hear some of our previous episodes, um, you can find these on southcloud.com under the Serious Leisure podcast. We're featured there under the University of the West of England, England umbrella. So this is it for today. Um, I already thanked Bob. Thank you, Sam, for your commentary. Thanks very much, Betty. It's been an absolute privilege and pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Kat, for your insights and questions and bringing in the practice around your work with the Centre for Music. Bravo. Thank you. This doing fascinating. Thank you so much. Um, and I would also like to thank our wider podcast team, Julia Denham and Helga Ganestadir. Helga has been patiently recording and noting all the bloopers, and those have been mostly mine. Um, goodbye, everyone. Until next time, when we continue to talk about leisure, work and well-being and what we can do to engage with leisure seriously. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs>